Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, February the 13th, 2022. It is currently 4.53 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Now, we are going to begin in this episode a study of something that I think is very important And it relates to every single one of us, even though when you look at the title, you may be thinking, well, that's not me, but it's people I know. Like when you see the title, you're probably thinking, you're already probably thinking of people this will apply to, right? Because we are beginning a study of narcissism. We're going to begin looking at what the Bible says about narcissists. And you probably already have in your mind people you know, like, oh, that's a narcissist. Oh, that person, narcissism. They struggle with it. It, They're definitely a narcissist. Narcissism, you you probably are very good at pointing out everyone else who you think is a narcissist who struggles with narcissism. But let me put forth my hypothesis here. Let me put forth my theory. I believe that narcissism is a part of, of our sinful nature, it's in all of us. There is a level of narcissism. We are all a narcissist to a certain degree because it's a part of our sinful nature. I think our sinful nature at its very core is narcissistic. Let, Let me state it this way. I think the essence of sin is the exaltation of the I. I think the essence of sin is the exaltation of I. The essence of sin is the exaltation of yourself. And that is very much connected with narcissism, with being a narcissist. It is a part of all of us. We can deny it. We can pretend it's not there. We may be good at blaming everyone else for being a narcissist, but it shows up in you over and over again. Shows up in your marriage, shows up in your parenting skills, shows you uh, shows up in your life if you're a teenager, shows up in your life as an employee, as an employer, as a neighbor, as a church member, as a pastor, as a Sunday school teacher, as a deacon, as an elder, as a janitor, as a truck driver. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, it shows up because it's the very essence of our sinful nature. The very essence of our sinful nature is the exaltation of the I, of self. So that means narcissism and a narcissist, it's a part of it. Now, you may not be familiar with the term narcissism or narcissist. I'm I'm pretty sure you are. But if you're not, we are about to engage in a study learning everything we can about narcissism, what it is to be a narcissist, and then what the Bible has to say about it because I think this is critical. Let let me state it this way. Here's my perspective. Here's my hypothesis. Narcissism is a part of our sinful nature. It is in all of us. And spiritual growth is, listen, spiritual growth is you moving away from the narcissism in you. Spiritual growth 
is you moving away from the narcissism that is inside of you. you. In other words, spiritual growth is you moving away, putting away. Let's state it this way. Spiritual growth is the putting away of the narcissism in you. In other words, you're, you're not going to ever get rid of your sinful nature. So there's always going to be a little bit of it. But but you move away in your thinking and in your attitude. You you become, let, let's, let's just state it even a different way. Spiritual growth is you becoming less and less of a narcissist. Spiritual growth is you becoming less and less of a narcissist because we all start off as a narcissist. It's all about me, 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 because the essence of sin is the exaltation of the I. I I feel strongly about this, and I believe I can support it biblically, and I believe that it's something that we definitely need to understand. So the more we understand narcissism, the the more we understand what it is to be a narcissist, the more we will understand ourselves, the more we see the reality of that narcissism in us, then we can begin to try to move away from it. We can become, we can strive to become less and less of a narcissist in our attitudes and our actions and in our thinking. And there is the essence of spiritual growth is becoming less of the narcissist that you are. I think this is very important. So are you ready? I'm going to be borrowing from an article that was posted at crosswalk.com. At times, I'm going to be very, I'm going to be just reading directly from it. And then times I may deviate wildly from it. There's times I may uh, give complete agreement to it. There's times I may strongly disagree with it. But I saw this and and, and I know I called this part one because there's no way I can finish this in one study. There's no way. But I thought it's a Sunday afternoon and... You you put it this way. You can't study narcissism enough since we're all infected with it. All of us are little narcissists, whether we like to acknowledge it or whether we like to acknowledge it or not. All right. The title of this article is "What Does the Bible Say About Narcissists?" Narcissism is defined. I think that's a good place to start. Let's define narcissism. Let's try to understand the definition and the history of the term and the origin of the concept. Now, I think the origin goes way, 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 way back, but at least from understanding the term and and culture in the world, understanding it from there. I think biblically we can go we can go even further back, but let's see where, where, where they lead to this as far as like how do we understand this term and the beginning of this and and uh, the culture. All right, so I'm gonna I think I'm gonna think I'm gonna play an audio uh, here in a minute because I, I think I'll do it that way. Here we go. You ready? So narcissism is defined as having an excessive interest in or admiration for oneself and one's physical appearance. Now, the obsession over one's physical appearance, you you may say, well, that's not you. You may say, well, that's not you. That has nothing to do with you. Okay, okay. But just remember, narcissism is defined as having an excessive interest in or an admiration for oneself. Narcissism is a preoccupation with self. It's self-focused. It's self-interest. It's self-desire. It's self-want. It's self-willed. It's self-purposed. 
And that's the very essence of our sinful nature, which is exalts the I. I will do this. I want this. I want this. I don't like this. I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. I, 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 which is the very essence of our lives, right? That's why there's, that's why there's problems in marriage, right? Because you've got two individuals who are exalting the I, not exalting the we, but exalting the I. They're not exalting the us. They're exalting the uh, the eye. Each wants their own way, their own will, their own purpose, their own satisfaction, their own pleasure. And uh, the other person may get in the way of that. Then there's conflict, problems with kids. All of our problems arise usually when we don't get our way. Correct? Someone offends us. Someone does. And so we have to get back at them. We have to respond. We have to get the last word in. We have to respond with an angry word. We don't want to turn. We don't want to respond with a soft answer. We don't want to turn the other cheek. We want, we want to strike back because it went against us. Narcissism is that excessive interest and admiration for oneself. It's about you, 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 you. The word although seemingly modern, has been around for a very long time. In fact, it goes back to Greek mythology. You probably know the story. Let's see if you know this name. Do you know the name of this individual in Greek mythology? See if you know it. Are you ready? Listen, here we go. Narcissus. 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 Do you know that name? Narcissus. Narcissus. Narcissus, now listen, was known for his beauty and a fixation on himself and his outer appearance. The story told about him is that Narcissus, after seeing his reflection in a pool of water, he fell in love as if it were another human being. Narcissus fell in love with himself. The essence of narcissism is self-love. It's loving yourself above everything else. Self-love, self-will, self-desire. If you love yourself above everything else, you want yourself to be pleased. You want yourself to be served. You want your way. You want your will because you love yourself above all all else. That's the very essence of our sinful nature. That's the very essence of our sinful nature. And I think the Bible acknowledges that that's the way we typically, we already operate from this idea of loving self, loving self, loving self. Now, some people will say, no, 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 no. I don't love myself. I hate myself. Now we can, we can get into a whole discussion there about that, but the very, the natural The natural way of operating is already a self-love. That's why when Jesus says, love others as you love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, because self-love is already assumed and understood because it's just a part of who we are. And that self-love typically leads to the exaltation of the I. Listen, not, not only over everyone else, we want to exalt the I even over God. And our selfish nature, our narcissistic nature, will then look to God, listen, not as one to submit to, but as one to use 
for our own benefit. Look, you, you, can, you can say you believe in God and still be very much narcissistic because you will start seeing God as a means to an end. Your self-glorification, your self-preservation, you, you receiving blessing benefit from it. So many people, even though they say they worship God, they may even use all the right language. Oh, God is holy. God is sovereign. He's above me. But there's in many cases, there's a, there's a sinister thing going on that we kind of view God. God is wonderful as long as God does what I want. God is great as long as he operates my way. And we have a way of manipulating even scripture to make God agree with us, give us what we want and say what we want. Narcissism is self-love. Narcissus, Narcissus fell in love with himself. Once he saw a reflection of, of himself, he's like, well, that's what I love right there. That's it. That's what I love. Right there is what I love, right? Narcissus said, I found the perfect partner, me. And sometimes we look for the perfect partner as being someone who's a lot like us, <laughs> because if they're a lot like us, is like we're loving ourselves. There's a little bit of truth in that. So do you do you can you detect the narcissist in you? Can you detect the narcissist in you? Can you detect narcissism in yourself? Come on, you have to acknowledge it. You love yourself a lot. You exalt yourself a lot. Now, it may manifest itself in different ways. This is what makes it so sinister is you may say, well, but, 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 but look, look what I do here and look what I do there and look what I do there. But a lot of times, even when you're doing those other things, you're doing them for you. You're doing them to exalt yourself, to make yourself look good, to make you get recognition for your getting the thanks, for you getting the praise. That, that's still narcissism. You may look like you're putting other people before you, but if you're only putting other people before you so that it elevates you, your standing, your reputation, then you may not be doing it. You, you could see this in church in many cases, right? Let some people do some things and don't thank them. Don't give them any recognition. Don't mention them in the church announcements. Don't put them in the church bulletin. Don't put a little plaque up in the pew that they paid for, right? Don't, don't name the, the, the part of the building that they helped fund. Don't name them. Don't recognize them. Don't mention them. In many cases, you will hear about it because they did something good, but they did so for recognition. That's a little bit of self-focus, right? So we have narcissism, an excessive interest and admiration for oneself. The word seemingly modern has been around for a very long time in Greek mythology. Narcissus was known for his beauty and fixation on himself. The story is told that he saw his reflection in a pool and fell in love with himself. That's where he had already fallen in love with. Now, an English physician who studied human sexuality first identified the word nar narciss narcissus, uh, narcissus, um, let's see. Uh, I, okay, let me read this again because I'm, I'm, I'm messing this up. The name of this English physician is Havelock Ellis, an English physician who studied human sexuality, first identified the word narcissus 
like narcissus like and pathological self absorption in 1897 all right so he identifies this as this is what he refers to this as narcissus like and pathological self absorption in 1897 now what's this idea of self absorption absorption is the idea of absorbing something or being absorbed it's the idea that you are uh, ab- absorbing yourself. It's you're, you're so self-consumed, you're just absorbing yourself. You're, you're in a sense, feeding upon yourself, right? That was 1890, you see what, make sure I get the right year, 1897. Narcissus-like pathological self-absorption, 1897. Paul Adolf uh, Naki, a German a psychiatrist and criminologist was the first person to use the term narcissism in 1899. And then in 1914, Sigmund Freud published an entire paper to the topic on narcissism and introduction. So there's a little bit of history, but let me tell you what I think was happening. Psychiatrist, criminologist, all of these experts and all of these different fields that are very well maybe respected within the culture, I think all that they were doing is they were discovering the reality. They, they, no, no, put it this way. They weren't discovering it. They were identifying and giving a name to something that had been known since the beginning of human history, and that is the reality of the sinful nature. They were just referring to basically the sinful nature and giving it this name, narcissist, narcissism, which to me is nothing more than the sinful nature. I think that they were just, they were just acknowledging the reality of what we all know, that human beings since the fall have been exalting themselves. They have been exalting the I since the fall. It's the very essence of our sinful nature. Look, it doesn't take very long to see it play out. Cain and Abel, it doesn't take long to see what happens. Cain doesn't like the fact that Abel, in a sense, is accepted. Abel looks better than me. I don't like it. I'll kill my brother. I'll exalt myself over my brother. We see it. We see it over and over in the Bible. This narcissistic mindset manifesting itself in real life situations. We've been studying for the Bible study exercise, Joseph. He's the favorite. How do the brothers respond to him being the favorite? They want to be the favorite. They don't like him. They want him dead. So they plot to kill him and they sell him into slavery. They take their brother and sell him as a slave because they can't think and bear this idea that he's the favorite, that he's over us because no, 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 no. Don't exalt you over me. I want to exalt me over you. It's the very essence of it. Oh, oh, so much of our, all of our problems really come down to we are narcissists at the very essence of who we are. The article goes on to say the Apostle Paul identified and described narcissism and 2 Timothy sometime between 90 and 140 A.D. The divine wisdom has brought us to where we are today, where where psychologists and mental health professionals have identified nine narcissistic traits outlined in the DSM-5, 
licensed professionals with the ability to diagnose mental health disorders must see at least five of the nine criteria to label someone with narcissistic personality disorder known as NPD. So in, in the mental health world, if you, if, you, if you have at least five of the nine criteria that is identified, right? Uh, the, the, this is outlined in the DSM-5. If you have at least five of these, you, are nar- you have a narcissistic personality disorder. You have narcissistic personality disorder. And then they may say you need to go through some kind of therapy, some kind of counseling to try to overcome a narcissistic personality disorder, right? Because the argument would be from a mental health is that this is not good for your mental health. It's not good for your personal relationships. So you need to try to overcome this because it'll make things better for you, make things better for your life. In other words, they're not going to come at this from a biblical, sinful, sin, ungodly perspective. No, they're going to come at it from this is not good for your mental health. We need to understand that narcissism is a sin, it's a part of all of us, and it will be interesting to see how many of us identify with at least five of these characteristic traits, that according to the DSM-5, how many of us would have NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. I bet you that I'm speaking to a lot of people who are going to test positive. You're going to go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm a narcissist. Welcome to the club, I think we all are to some maybe maybe we maybe many of you won't identify with five of these but I think if if we're very if you're honest I think most of these characteristic traits are the very essence of our sin nature I think there I think again I've I've stated it already a number of times here but I got to keep repeating it the essence of sin is the exaltation of the eye it's exalting yourself exalting yourself and this doesn't go back to Greek mythology and Narcissus it doesn't go to Narcissus. It goes to Satan, Satan exalting himself over God. I, 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 And his rebellion, and then Adam and Eve, hey, it looks good to me. I want, you know, Eve, it looks good to me. I want this. I want to, I, I, you know, I, I want to know good and evil. I want to, in a sense, be like God. God is trying to hold back on me. She, in a sense, What's what she wants, she gets what she wants, and then every person from that point is born with a sinful nature and starts off from our very birth, from our very conception, born as a sinner, and we come forth with this narcissistic exaltation, exaltation of the eye, and we see it, very, it doesn't take long to see it in a child. Mine, mine will tell you no, no. I want this. I want cry if you don't get it. Throw a fit. It's 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 right there built into us. Here are the nine traits of narcissism. Now they said 2 Timothy is where Paul identified and described narcissism. But they're not going to go here. I think where they're going to they're going to go here, they're going to go with the DSM-5 and give the nine traits of narcissism narcissism. And remember if you have 5 of these you have five of these, you are diagnosed with, pers- uh, with narcissistic pers- personality disorder. What do you think? What do you think the chances are? What do you think? I, I wish I had, I wish, see, 
So I, I love doing podcasts, but I love talking in front of a live audience because right now I wish I had people here and I'd be like, how many do you think? Like, like I know some of them, it would be a wife going, mm-hmm, I'm going to be writing these down. I'm going to put them on the refrigerator because I know I'm married to a narcissist. And what you may not be realizing is, is no, you, you may be the narcissist. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's, oh, my, I bet you my kids, I, I'm, I'm going to label my kids with narcissistic personality disorder. You, you may find out that it's you. So before you start looking at your husband or your kids or your neighbor or your pastor, Sunday school teacher, your your boss, you may want to go look in the mirror, which, well, a narcissist would like doing in, in the first place. But okay, that's a, whole, that's a whole different subject, right? Here we go. All right. And I love the photograph they have here in the article. It's right, right above the nine traits of narcissism. They have someone... Uh, like holding up like a mirror. It, it just reminds me of like someone taking a selfie of themselves, right? I mean, a generation where people take millions and millions and millions and millions of pictures of themselves, does that not just scream narcissism? But narcissism goes beyond just taking a picture of yourself and posting 900 pictures of yourself and being preoccupied with yourself. It's, it goes beyond, it's deeper than that. that. That's what I want to see. Now, I think psychologists may do a good, a good job at pointing out maybe some of the surface levels but I'm looking at more from a theological perspective. But I am curious to know, what does the DSM-5 say? Now, I remember working, I remember at work pulling up the DSM-5 because I worked in the medical world and people debating about, you know, so who's a narcissist? Okay, but here we go. All right, are you ready? Here we go. The nine traits of narcissism. Number one, has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements, and talents, expects to be recognized as superior, right? Wants to be recognized as superior without commensurate uh, achievements. All right, now, there's, there's a lot here that we could go through here. And I'm, I'm going to look at something here. Um, commensurate, okay, give me a, a second here. I'm going to make sure, I want to make sure we can clearly identify everything here. All right. Um, Okay. So the idea here would be, I'm going to read this again. I'm going to change this up a little bit. I'm going to change it up a little bit because I want to make sure we have a good idea. All right. So we have, we have a a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without, and I I want you to hear the the, the definition of, of commensurate here. It's corresponding in size or degree. So the idea would be this, that you expect to be recognized as superior even though you don't have the same corresponding achievements. You don't have the same corresponding achievements, but you still want to be recognized as being superior to those who don't have, to those who have greater achievements. You don't have the same achievements, but you want to be recognized as superior to ones who do. All right, now, let's go through this. That's all. That's I, I wish they would just kind of break that down because I could kind of break this down into a number of them. But you get the idea. The idea here is a, a grandiose sense of self-importance. It's the idea that you want to be most important. You want to be most important. Now, this 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 could show this, this is so difficult because. People will immediately say, no, 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 no. I, I don't have this grandiose v- thing of self-importance. They, they, but I want you to see this, that in some ways, 
You can try to deny that you have it. You may even try to come up with some fake self-humility, but in some ways you're using your fake self-humility to exalt yourself, to make yourself look better, right? So, but this idea of, of, of self-importance, let, let's just be honest here, right? I want you to think about that. And I'm, again, I'm going beyond the, the DSM-5 here. I'm going beyond the, the psych- psychological approach, the mental health approach. We all have a grandiose sense of self-importance. We do. We do. Because if you look at it from a biblical perspective, our view of self is to die, die to self, deny self, and no longer follow self. We will have a grandiose sense of self-importance because we get upset when things don't go our way. We get upset if God doesn't do what we want. We get upset if someone rebukes us, corrects us. We have a grandiose sense of self that we think we are important. Now, it can manifest itself that when you're in certain settings, you may have a tendency to exaggerate an achievement or a talent because you want to be seen as being equal or superior to people. Now, this is interesting because sometimes it, you may think of it as this, think of it this way. Um, you may convince yourself that the reason you're exaggerating an achievement or a talent is because you, you feel like you're not worthy. You feel less than, so you're trying to exaggerate it in order to be seen as equal, right? You, you may see it that, see, I feel so bad about myself that I have to exaggerate it. And maybe there's a little bit of that in you, but it, it could still be that even though you, f- you feel that about you, but you're still, you have this sense of wanting that self-importance. In other words, it's still a preoccupation with yourself. You're still so worried about yourself and how everyone perceives you that you want everyone to perceive you with some kind of a grandiose self-importance. So you exaggerate it. You may feel like you don't have what it takes to have that self-importance. So you exaggerate it because you long for it and you desire it. And we all have been in, in those, maybe, no, I can't say we all, there's many times we end up in a situation where we feel like we have to exaggerate it a little bit, exaggerate what we do. You can see this. I can't say that it shows up every single time, but I think if you go to some high school reunions, people will try to exaggerate their job, the importance of their job, maybe a little more than actually meets reality because, well, they, they want to be seen as not being a failure. But that's a little bit of narcissistic mentality, right? You, you are, it's, it's, a, it's, you're so worried about your own self-importance. You're so preoccupied with yourself. It's, it's, you, you may, you may realize that you're not these, the, as important as you want to be, but you're going to do everything you can to try to put that forth because you don't want to be looked down upon. You don't want to be seen as a failure. So you exaggerate it. All right. So, so you'll, you'll, you want to be recognized as superior or as at least as equal, even though you don't have the same achievements, right? You don't have the same achievements. So there's, there's the, the first trait of narcissist or narcissism. Now you, you'll have to look at your, that one is, that one's a little difficult to try to process and go through all of that 
Put it this way, if, there, if you, you have to just think about it yourself and see if, if you find yourself a little bit in that. Now, I think what you're going to see, and this is true with a lot of these things, sometimes the, the descriptions, I feel at times, are vague enough that they almost fit anyone and everyone. It's, it's almost like anyone, how many people have taken the narcissistic test? How many were, <laughs> how many were diagnosed with a narcissistic personality disorder, all of us, right? Because I think in some cases, these are so vague that it, it could fit anyone. But in this particular case, I think the reason it fits everyone, not maybe not only because maybe some of this is a little bit vague, it was because, well, I think there's a little bit of narcissism in all of us. So we're, we're, if we look deep enough, we're going to find it. Number two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success Power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. You're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Now, when you fantasize, when you when fantasies, daydreams come in your mind, only you know this, only you know this. When you just find yourself just daydreaming, what are you daydreaming of? Now, I, I see, I think this, this one is almost unfair because I think typically anytime we start fantasizing, we're going to fantasize about things that are obviously are going to make us feel good, right? I don't, you don't, you don't usually fan, fan, I fantasize that other people have unlimited excess, that other people have power, that other people have brilliance, that other people have beauty, and that other people have ideal love. That, that's not how we fantasize. We fantasize, so see, this one is almost like everyone's going to fit into this one in some way, shape, or form. If I think about all of my daydreams and just while my mind begins to wonder and I'm fantasizing in some way, shape, or form, I may think about what it would be like to be rich. Well, I may be thinking about when I don't have money for this, right? I wish if I had money for that, I could get this, 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 and that. Is, does that make me a narcissist? Well, it makes me self-absorbed about myself. It makes me preoccupied with myself. So I, I can see that. Unlimited success. You think about, man, I wish I, I wish I had that success. I wish I was successful as that person, or I wish I had the, 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 I wish I had the, as much money as they had. You start thinking about that. You start thinking maybe about power or position, or that if I could be smarter, I wish I could be as smart as that person. I wish I knew as much as they did. Right? I, I wish, I wish, this is not even a fantasy. This is my mind's already thinking about it. It's not even a fantasy. I'm, th- I'm wishing the word commensurate, commensurate, if I could get the word right, commensurate, commensurate, if I can say the word correctly. I wish I would have gotten the word right when I read it the first time and knew exactly what it meant. But when I saw the word commensurate, I had to think, wait a minute, what is that referring to? So live on a live broadcast, I had to go over there and look up commensurate means corresponding in size or degree and proportion. No, I wish I didn't have to do that. Now, you could, I'll, I'll just acknowledge, there's a little bit of narcissism right there in me. I won't, I won't, be, I won't be afraid to acknowledge it. Look, if, if, we're not going to make any ad- advancements if we're not willing to acknowledge it. So w- you may not be willing to, so you can listen to me. I'm, I, oh, guess what? When I get in my car and I go back and I listen to any live broadcast I do today, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go right to this episode and I'm going to go fast forward and I'm like, commiserate, 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 commiserate. Did I say the word? I messed up. And I had to look up the definition. How stupid did I look? How stupid did I look? I looked stupid. I looked ignorant. Oh, and I'm going to be mad because I want to look brilliant. 
I want to look smart. I want to look like I'm a great communicator. I want to look like that I'm, I'm the best podcaster in the world. That's a little bit of narcissism. You say, well, you're unspiritual. Well, I, I will acknowledge it. I'm a sinner. I'm a narcissist sitting in front of a microphone, right? But, but there's a little bit of that in you as well. What do you fantasize about? Do you fantasize about everyone else's, everyone else's success, everyone else's power, everyone else's brilliance, everyone else's beauty, everyone else, else's uh, possessing ideal love? Or do you think about, man, I wish I could look like that. I mean, I wish I could look like that. I mean, who hasn't done that in their life? Well, other than maybe people who are already the, one of the quote unquote beautiful people, but the average person, I wish I could, I wish I didn't have my hair this way or my face this way or my nose this way or my ears this way or my eyes this way or my eyebrows this way, or I wish I was taller or I wish I was, uh, had this or had that. Or we, we all do that. We fantasize constantly about things being better for us. Now, this is a preoccupation with it, but I just, I would like to know how many fantasies when you just, your mind just starts wondering, are you sitting there going, oh, I wish that person was, had better looks and I wish that person had more power and I wish that person had more money. It's, I think all of our fantasies go to what would benefit us, what it would be like for us to be, have a better this and a better this and a better that and a better this which would make us very guilty of, of narcissism in some way, shape, or form. It may not reach the level for them to identify you with this disorder, but I can tell you there's a little bit of that in us, right? So number one is a grandiose sense of self-importance. So that you, you exaggerate achievements and talents, and you expect to be recognized as super, superior, even if you don't have the same level of achievement. See how I got rid of the word? Yeah, you see how I did that? Because I don't want to look stupid, right? Number two, in fact, if I edit my podcast, guess what I would do? I would go edit that all out and change it so that I look like I knew what I was talking about, see? So in some ways, one of the reasons I do live broadcasts is not only because, uh, because I would just drive myself crazy because I would, I would strive for perfection. It's because, you know what? This strikes at the heart of narcissism in me. My, my mistakes are live on the internet. They're there for everyone to hear. That's good for me. It's good for me, all right? Um, but yeah, uh, I, I want to be recognized sometimes. Do, do you? Do, do you have a grandiose sense of self-importance? Maybe. Number two, you're preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Number three, believes that they are special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other people of high, st- uh, high status people or institutions. You begin to see yourself as special and nobody can understand me other than people who are special, who are high standard people or, or maybe come from the same institutions or only people of this institution. Now, this one I have a hard time relating to. Um, I, this one, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think this, this one, I would need a little bit more discussion exactly what, again, some of these are so vague. You could fit anything in there and, and I'm not, I'm not wanting to do it. I'm trying to see how this relies to us biblically or theologically. So I think there's, I think we do have a tendency to think 
I think this is in a lot of us. No one can understand me. No one understands me. No one. No one can understand my problems. No one can understand my pain because we sometimes feel like that our pain, our experience is somehow unique to everyone else. Now, in one way, it is unique because it's your experience. But I think there is a little bit of that in us feeling, maybe it's not saying that we're so special, but we may feel like that we're somehow so unique that no one can understand us. There's a little bit of that. Teenagers feel that. No one can understand me. No one. My parents can't understand. No one can understand me. That, that, that. I'm not saying that they're going, I'm so special, but there is a sense that I'm somehow so unique that no one can figure me out. But you do see some people. I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to refer to this now more to, to, to the ministry. I've noticed how some pastors don't have the time of day for any pastor who's a pastor of a small church who didn't go to a you know, well-named Bible college or seminary. If they went to a smaller Bible college or a smaller seminary, they don't really get the time of day. I've seen that within the pastors. So that one is vague. Let's go to number four. Requires excessive admiration. (laughs) Requires excessive admiration. In other words... You want to be recognized. You want to be admired. You want to be praised. You want to be thanked. You want people, you want to hear that people think that you, you, you are, you want people to think you're the smartest. You want people to think you're the, the, the most beautiful, the most handsome. You, 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 you desire that. I know I I will, I will listen. Uh, Once again, I'm I'm just going to do lots of, of, of self-confession here. I think there's a little there's a little bit of that in me. I do a podcast episode, I do a sermon. I, I want some kind of admiration. I want to be. I want to hear about that. It that it was good. Now, on some ways, everyone there's a level of that that clearly can't be just full blown narcissism because there's a little bit of that. And well, again, I, I, I think narcissism is in all of us. There's always a little bit of this in everyone. I don't care what you do. Look, look I've watched it a million times in churches. Like, like pastors get accused of this constantly, but if you're, if you're a church that does this, now this, this is popular in this part of Texas. Um, they also did it in my church in Nebraska, uh, one of my churches, but it's very popular in this part of Texas. Every fifth, it's called the fifth Sunday sing, right? The fifth Sunday, or sometimes they'll do it the last Sunday of every month or the, or the fifth Sunday, however they work it, right? But they'll, they'll pick one Sunday every month, every three or four months, whenever it occurs. There's different ways of doing it. And then that Sunday will just be what is the the, the Sunday sing. And this means everyone in the church who wants to sing a special, who wants to bring some kind of special uh, piece of music, they will all get together to sing. And I watch this happen over and over and over and over and over you see the women, typically lots of women who, who, who participate, typically not, all, I've always seen probably 95% women. And they're worried. They're nervous. They're nervous. They're nervous. They're about to stand up in front of everyone and sing. And they're nervous and they're nervous and they're nervous and they're nervous. Why are they nervous? Because they want, they don't want to, they want to be seen as a good singer. They don't want to be seen as a bad singer. They're worried how everyone's going to perceive that. And then guess what they want to hear after they want, how did it go? What did you think? Did you think it went well? They want some kind of admiration and recognition. I'm not saying that's inherently evil. What I'm saying is does once again demonstrate 
We're very self-conscious and self-aware, and we want admiration. We want recognition. We want some kind of praise. Everyone does. You want to be thanked for your contributions. You want to be thanked for the meal you cooked. You want to be thanked for the things you do. And you sometimes you will hear, even in a marriage, you don't appreciate me. You don't. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't receive admiration and appreciation and thanks. But the point is, we are so preoccupied with self that the minute we don't receive the admiration, we become greatly bothered by it and become discouraged, disillusioned, depressed, and greatly upset. How much admiration do you require? I think any desire for it, I'm not saying it's completely evil. I'm saying it demonstrates the essence of our sinful nature because sinful nature wants to exalt self. And not only do I want to exalt me, I want other people to help exalt me. I want other people to admire me. I want other people to tell me that I'm good. I want other people to tell me that I'm great. I want other people to tell me that I'm wonderful. That that shows up from the pulpit. Okay, someone just says church musicians definitely can fall into that trap. Just so is so can pastors. So so can Sunday school. I want, I, I, you get a bunch of preacher boys together, right? That, that, sometimes that's the term of young men who feel called to the ministry, and they get a chance to preach. Maybe it'll be a, a you know whatever. You know they're gonna each preacher boy gets to preach for fifteen or twenty minutes. When it's over, they want to know how they did. They want to know how they did. Now on one listen. On one side, I don't want anyone to think that I'm condemning that completely because it's human nature, but that human nature reflects that it's, it's built into us because we, we, because we are preoccupied with self. It's a little bit of that narcissism showing itself. It may not reach to the level of, of being diagnosed with a narcissistic personality disorder, but it definitely shows that narcissism is built into us. I got to go through these quickly. I didn't realize it's already been 45 minutes. So let's go through number one. Has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without the same achievements. All right. Now this gets into why some, I, I will, I, for this one, I could go to why some people want to be called a, uh, have a doctor after their name within ministry when it was either an honorary doctorate, they want to be called doctor, but they didn't earn the doctorate. It's an honorary doctorate. Or there's some real questions about the doctorate they are earned. Now, why, why are you so bothered about having the, the, the doctor by your name? Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Look, I know narcissism is, lies in my heart. So there's things I've done to try to fight this. I'll just try to give you some things. When, when they first started to put together a church sign for the church, they asked me, like, do you want your name? Do you want your, like, any of the degrees you've earned? And I, leave my name off the church sign. Leave my name off the church website. I don't want them to know. I don't want the church to be known by me. I've said that from the very beginning. My name has never appeared on a church website. My name have ne- has never appeared on a church sign. My name, I, tried, my, I never try to have my name appear on anything because I know that it's a small step to it becoming about me. Right. That, that's just, so I'm not saying that because I'm not saying that, that I'm not saying I did that because I'm more spiritual. I'm saying that I did that because I'm not spiritual. <laughs> I'm saying that it was, I know what's in me, all right? 
So there's number one. Number two, preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Number three, believe that they are special and unique and can only be understood by or should be associated with other people or high-status people or institutions. They can only be associated with the, the right people, the right names, okay? I've seen that in ministry, man. Man, if you're if you're not a if you're not so and so, they won't even they won't even bother to email you back. They just ignore you like you're a nobody. I mean, I've had that happen. Mm. But see, I get upset when I get ignored. Well, see, there's my narcissism. See, I expect to be uh, to be responded to. See, so there there you go. See, is that more on me or on them? Uh, number four requires excessive admiration. Number five has a sense of entitlement. Unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with their expectations. Do you have a sense of entitlement and you have an unreasonable expectation that people are going to treat you in a certain way and you expect people to comply with what you want? Do you have an, a sense of entitlement? And therefore, this entitlement leads you to be unreasonable. You, let, you expect everyone to treat you a certain way. And if they don't, you get mad. You get upset. You get bothered. You get hurt. Do you have, a, an autom- do you have a, this idea that everyone should just automatically comply with your wishes, your wants, and your demands? This is a built into a little bit of all of us. Look. I've talked about it so many times. I've been a pastor for a long time now. Man, people have a sense of entitlement. They have a sense of entitlement. There's just no way about it. And if church doesn't go the way they want it to go, they will let you know. And, and I've, I've asked everyone who's ever complained about anything in this church, and I'm sitting in this very sanctuary, anyone who's ever sat in this sanctuary and then called me on a Monday to complain, I always ask them the same question. Okay, you're not happy with A, B, C, D. If I change A, B, C, D to make you happy, what if the people who sit across from you, what if it makes them unhappy? They never have an answer. They usually kind of go, well, um, I mean, I'm not saying change everything. Obvious, and, and I always want to say, you're not? Well, if, we're, if you're not telling me to change something, why did you just call me? And I had to come meet with you for you to tell me all the things you don't like. And you've, and, and you've also placed a little bit of a threat there that if I don't do it, you're going to leave. So you expect, you have a sense of entitlement that church should go the way you want it to go. The preaching should be the way you want it. The singing should be the way you want it. And it's insane. There's a sense of entitlement. Now, pastors, we can have a sense of entitlement because we have an unreasonable expectation that people are going to always treat us a certain way. We, we sometimes have a, a sense of entitlement that we believe everyone's going to comply with our expectations and they don't. And then we can get hurt and go, they don't appreciate me and they don't love me. And I'm just going to go find another church. I'll go find a bigger church. I, 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 I have, I've never done that. And I've always said, I'm never going to leave this church as long as one person is here. I'm never going to leave. I've always said that. I've had even my, my first pastor, when he visited here one time, told me I should go find a bigger church and I should leave. And, and I've had visitors come in here and say, you're wasting your time here in the middle of nowhere. You should leave. Now, that makes me feel good, right? Ooh, yeah, they see that I'm better than this, right? But 
<laughs> At the same time, I realized how, what, a, what a messed up viewpoint that it is that just abandoned these people so that I could go do something bigger. No, 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 no. This is where I ended up. This is where people are. I'm not going to leave these sheep to go to find more sheep. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's the wrong way. But I, I can have that sense of entitlement. Do you have a, do you have a sense of entitlement? All right. I think uh, uh, Will just said, I think baldness must be a gift from God to fight pride and narcissism. Uh, notice there's still no cure for it. You, oh, I, I now, amen to that. A, there, I cannot speak. Now, this doesn't go to the enti- entitlement thing so, per se, but it definitely goes to narcissism and pride. As a man, now, women have their own issues. I cannot speak for women. But as a man, when you start losing your hair, it, it, I can't even describe how horrible it is. Now, I still have hair, but my hairline has definitely receded to a point where it's obviously horribly noticeable and I don't like it. I do not 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 like it, right? And the longer I let my hair grow out, the worse it looks because it's thinning. So really the only option is to make it as short as humanly possible and hold on as long as I can, right? Hopefully I'll never go bald, hopefully, but it's horrible. But that that's a good, that's that, that goes back to the idea of grandiose, of self-importance, exagger. Uh, well, well, kind of. Uh, well, kind of goes to the basic definition of narcissism: preoccupation with one's appearance. Because, well, no, nobody. Yeah, it goes after the very heart because you want to look a certain way. So then you fantasize about, or you may even remember the way you used to look and wish you could go back to that. Now you're being preoccupied with those kinds of things. But yeah, I think baldness definitely ooh, can can. Phew can can mess up a guy that's all i can say all right so uh, so there's one through five. Oh, we got to hurry grandiose sense of self-importance preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success etc believes that they are special and unique requires excessive admiration has a sense of entitlement all right now those those are five now remember if you if you say yes to these five you you would be diagnosed with an, a narcissistic personality disorder even in the mental health world I'm going to argue you may not, I will argue you may not have enough of those five to be classified as a narcissist in the mental health world, but I believe there's enough of those five in every single one of us. I believe that there's enough of that. Well, you know what? Maybe I'm projecting. There's enough of it in me, all right? I I can only speak for me, but I bet you there's enough of that in all of us, all right? So let's go to number six is interpersonally expletive, right? Exploitive, if I can speak correctly, is interpersonally exploitive, takes advantage of others to achieve their own ends. In other words, in interpersonal relationships, they exploit people. They they will um, take advantage of others to achieve their own ends, right? They will exploit people. In other words, they see people as a means to an end. They see people as a means to an end. How do you view people in interpersonal relationships? Do you see them in a sense as a means to your pleasure, your happiness, your satisfaction, your contentment? How do you view other people? 
Do you view other people as people whom you can serve, other people whom you can minister to, or other or people are there to serve and please you? Wow. That that is con- convicting. That's ex- that, that we, man. I don't even know what to say about that one. We exploit people, right? We 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 do that. We 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 are interpersonally we exploit people in the sense that we use them for our benefit. We use them for our gain. We use them to exalt self. How many times do we view interpersonal relationships and we see it? What is in it for me? What is in it for me? I, I've told you that this this is this is I don't I think every pastor can testify of the same thing. I rarely get a call. I don't think very few times. Maybe it has happened in this church. But, but I would bet most pastors, 99% of the calls you get are not, hey, pastor, what can I do for you? What can I do to help the church? What can I do? No, typically it's calling what, this is what I need. This is what I want. Now, I'm not talking about people calling when there's an emergency, a tragedy. I'm just saying that the normal thing is about, they're looking at what the church, the church can do for them, not what they can do for the church. People want, want. And so they see the church as a means to an end, getting what they want, not them serving and ministering to others, ministering to the church. Now, I understand there's sometimes you got to call if, if you feel like bad doc. I know, I understand. I'm not saying there's never a time to call to say, voice your needs. I'm not saying that there's never a time to do that. I'm just saying it's always about the interpersonal relationships or exploitative in the sense that you, you use them for your benefit. When our focus biblically is to put others before ourselves, to, to minister to others, not to look for them to minister to us. Many pastors view churches, like the church that I'm currently sitting in, as the church you start with so that you build up a little bit of experience. Hopefully, if you're small, if you, let's say you start with 10, you can get it up to, say, 80 or 90. And as soon as you get those numbers up there, you get out as soon as possible because you can put on your resume that you took a church of 10 and, it, you know, it grew to 90 to 100. And then, and then now you look like, you, you know, you, you're the pastor for the job and then you can move on to a bigger church. And, and little small churches get a pastor and then the pastor leaves, usually not very long, you know, a couple of years, and then they leave the people abandoned because they're exploitative. They're looking at the church as a means to an end. This shows up everywhere. Number seven, lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. How empathetic are you to the needs of other people? How empathetic are you to the feelings of other people? Do you really feel it? Do you really feel empathy? Do you really sense and feel other people's pain? other people's struggle, other people's shame? Or do you just judge it and condemn it? Do you feel any empathy at all for anyone? Or do you just stand aloof as if you're superior to everyone and you don't understand their problems? Empathy is hard. And I think sometimes we're not empathetic. 
I mean, you, you've, you've noticed it. Just, just, you can probably do this at your job. If you, if you go to work on Monday, just walk in and just say to me, man, I didn't get very much sleep last night. And I can tell you usually before you get up, someone else will speak up. Man, you're telling me I got only like, you know, 15 minutes. Like their, their story will be worse. They're like they won't stop to show any sympathy or empathy. They got to tell you how bad things are for them. How, how bad things, you think you've got it bad. Let me tell you about how bad it is for me. And, you'll, and then you'll like, yeah, never mind. I thought I was going to tell everyone so they would feel bad for me. Oh, but nobody actually cares because everybody wants you to think that their situation was worse than your situation. And then and now it's a competing who has the worst story. And it's like, okay, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. You know, you'd be like, I, I was driving to work and my tire went flat. Well, you think you've got it bad. I was driving to work and I was attacked by a wild motorcycle gang and they almost killed me. Okay, and it's like, okay, never mind. Your story is always worse than mine. Never mind. Never. It, it's okay. It's okay. So, um, do, I mean, do you, do you find yourself as the one with a lack of empathy? Number eight, is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of them. Do you find yourself envious of other people? Or do you constantly think that everyone's envious of you? Do you lack empathy? And are you envious? And then number nine, we're at an hour or so. You show arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Do you demonstrate that you're arrogant in your actions and in your attitudes? Do you show a sense of arrogance, a sense of pride in your attitudes? If, so just, just look at those last ones. Lack of empathy, envious, and basically arrogant. There's a, there's a lack of empathy built into, I think, all of us. There's a, Envy is clearly part of our sinful nature, and arrogance and pride, it's all over the place. There's three, right? There, just the last three probably captures most people. In other words, I think most people would test positive for narcissistic personality disorder. Now, I know doing it in a clinical way, with, uh, you know, someone who's, who is qualified, they would probably say, well, this disqualifies. Okay. It's not true narcissism. So, but I'm saying that even if it doesn't meet the DSM five qualifications for a personality disorder, there is so much of that in every single one of us. There is some of that in every single one of us. I'll just repeat them. A grandiose sense of importance exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without same achievements or, or equal achievements or commensurate achievements, as the article says. Number two, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, and ideal love. Number three, believes that they are special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other people of high status people or institutions. Number four, requires excessive admiration. You need that, that admiration. You need that praise. You need that. You need it constantly. Number five, has a sense of entitlement, unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment 
or automatic compliance with their expectations. You you think you should be treated perfectly and you get mad if other people don't comply with what you want. Number six is interpersonally exploitative. The idea you exploit other people. You take advantage of others to achieve your own ends. In other words, you, you see other people as a means to an end. You just use them. Number seven, you lack empathy. You're unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Number eight, you're envious or you think everyone is envious of you. And number nine, you show arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Now, that's how the DSM-5 describes it. Now, what, we were, what we'll do next time is we'll see how the Apostle Paul describes narcissism. And, well, yeah, I'm not, oh, what I, what I love about what the Apostle Paul is going to do, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul is going to describe narcissism, but he's going to describe it inside the church because the nar- narcissism, are you ready for this? Will be, will be the character of the end time church. Narcissism will be the number one characteristic of the end time church. As we move closer to the end, the church will be more narcissistic. Narcissism will run rampant in the church, in the pew, in the pulpit, in the Sunday school classroom, the elders, the deacons. It's going to be, it's going to identify the church. The church is going to be known as narcissistic. That's what I love. The passage they use is a description of the church. Now, everyone reads it like it's not, but you, you, you look at the context there. It's describing the church. The end time church is going to be a narcissistic church. Now, you can start, don't start looking at other churches. Don't even start looking at other people in your own church. Look at yourself and just using the DSM-5, how close are you to having a narcissistic disorder, personality disorder, even according to the world? You look at some of those things, you see it in yourself. You see it in yourself. The essence of sin is the exaltation of self. And spiritual growth, spiritual growth is the fighting pushing down of narcissism. It's fighting against, it's moving away from narcissism. It's trying to strive against it. That's your spiritual growth because you're fighting against the very essence of your sin nature. Spiritual growth is you're fighting against the essence of the very nature that you're going to maintain your entire spiritual life. You're going to fight against it constantly. That's why you got to put off the old and put on the new. The old will be me, 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 I, 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 I. But when you're putting on the new, it's no longer about you. It's about Christ and it's about others. That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. That means loving him more than you love yourself and loving others. Loving others as you love yourself because that self-love is already just understood to be there. The way you love yourself, you need to love other people. Rarely do we ever love people, other people the way we love ourselves. But if you can love God and love others more than you love yourself, that's the essence of spiritual growth. That's the essence of discipleship. That's why Jesus said it, to follow him, you have to deny self, die to self. That's, that's the essence of discipleship. Discipleship is learning to die to self and denying self to, and not following self. There we go. All right, so we'll look next time at what the Apostle Paul says about narcissism. 
And uh, then we'll see. They don't provide. What's interesting here, they, uh, they, talk, they talk about narcissism also in the book of Proverbs. And then it says, uh, how should we, uh, well, then it, it, they, they don't offer some great answers about narcissism in the article. They do really good at identifying and going through all of this history, but it'll be up to us. So just this week, just think about narcissism and uh, just see if you identify it a little bit in yourself. And if you do, let's, uh, we'll have to start coming up with some scriptures to fight against it. All right. I'm I'm sorry that went an hour and seven minutes, but um, yeah, that's hopefully it's beneficial. All right. I think that's going to conclude my day. I think that's going to conclude my day. Um, we did a lot today. We finally finished 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I wish that would have all worked out the way it should have went last week, right? That would have been great if last week it would have been the two hours and we would have been done and it turned into basically four hours doing a lot of repetition. But some people thanked me for the repetition, so hopefully it was beneficial. Good news, visitor visitors came back. And the reason they weren't here last week is their car broke down on the way here. <laughs> so it, it's good news. Uh, the visit, I, I was so worried that the I, I had said something wrong. See, I, I, I just assumed that, I, see, I was making it about me. See, see, narcissistic tendencies, right? And I made that everything went wrong about me, narcissistic tendencies, right? So, and then this week, I'm all worried about, well, did the sermon really go well? Because I repeated myself, see, narcissistic tendencies, yeah, you see, you see a, a pattern. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, the, the pattern is you're a narcissist. Okay, well, I, I, think it, I think we all are to some level. Maybe I'm just more so than you. But I think if you look at yourself, you're going to find it there as well. And we need to identify it and fight against it. All right. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I probably will not be here tomorrow because I have to take my dog to the vet. He's having some serious issues because he's very, very, very old. Hopefully everything will go well. And so I don't know how Tuesday will work. So I'm hoping I, I get back before Wednesday. So we will see. Maybe maybe things can go quick tomorrow for the vet, and then I can uh, I can come back. Uh, but thank you, Will, for your input. I do agree that, uh, yeah, if every, if every person, well, not if every person had to lose their hair, then it really wouldn't be a, a fight against it. Wouldn't fight against narcissism because we would all look the same way. So then it wouldn't matter. But yeah, I think there's lots of things that can go against it. I had a friend in Nebraska who uh, his car got wrecked, and uh, he he was embarrassed by it. It looked horrible. It looked bad. I think he had like a plastic bag over one of the windows. It was just bad. It just looked horrible, and he was embarrassed. And he he was going to get it repaired, use the you know, get it fixed, and and uh, he decided not to get it fixed. Because he, he, he realized that it was a pride thing. And so he was going to drive around in a car that was embarrassing to him to fight his pride. Man, that was convicting because I don't know if I could have done it because it was embarrassing. It looked horrible. But he, he wanted it to look horrible because he knew that it, he wanted to get it fixed because he didn't want people to think that, you know, he was driving around in some beat up piece of junk. He didn't want, he didn't want to be viewed that way. So he drove around in a beat up piece of junk so that he could get rid of, uh, he could fight his pride, fight his narcissism. That's awesome. I'm glad that there are godly people out there because I don't know if I would have been able to do that because I probably would have been embarrassed if I was driving around in in it. And typically I don't care what people think, but there I would look, there it would matter a little bit to me. 
you, you probably got your own stories. All right. Everyone have a great night, a great week. Uh, we, we, a new week of Bible study has started, so that's going to be a, a rough study, but hopefully everyone will participate. So thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.